0: Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been Incredibly influential in human history, from the time we were hunter gatherers looking for fresh sources of water, to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities. Eventually, having plumbing, uh, the way that it changed sanitation, uh, irrigation, and what is the what's the future? Of water. Are we going to have enough of this stuff? How can we make more clean, fresh water? I just listened to a very interesting episode Alchemy, Turning Milk into Water, Sustainable Water Management. And this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water, coffee, industrial practices, sustainable value chain, and social responsibilities with uh, this man, Carlos uh, Gali, who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Today we learn all about how to do MDMA safely, effectively, getting the most out of your journey and having the most amount of therapeutic benefits and having some fun as well. Uh, If you want to join me in Jamaica for a psilocybin mushroom retreat, uh, legal psilocybin mushrooms May 5th through 13th in Jamaica There are 18 total spots. We are waiting to hear how much interest there is from you guys to make sure that it's uh, definitely happening. But the retreat, it's an all-inclusive thing. It comes with, uh, now that I've been there, it's absolutely fantastic. And I decided that I wanted to do one just for uh, Here We Are listeners. So Eric Osborne of Michael Meditations and I will be guiding with the help of a couple other people and there's there's meals included there's uh there's massage included and a bunch of group discussions and integration and setting intentions and that sort of thing um My girlfriend said it was uh it was like trip school um so if you're inexperienced with mushrooms or you just want to do them in a different way. It was a really powerful experience for me. Felt a lot of interesting synchronicities. And so thanks to all my new friends that I've met now from that retreat. And, uh, and I hope some of you listeners are, are interested. It's basically the same cost as taking a trip to Jamaica any other time without uh, like the, the mushrooms and the guiding and everything else. is basically just like free, essentially. Um, because we get these big group rates and everything else so check that out i hope you're listening on the laughable app where you can subscribe to me shane moss and you can hear <laughs> you can hear me uh, as a guest on other podcasts and um yeah i think that's uh about it special thanks to ramin and nazer for getting things back on track we had a couple episodes ready to go before christmas so the intros and outros moody sounded weird because they didn't end up coming back until january we're still in the middle of doing a changeover some stuff happened um with uh network that we were joining they have uh, kind of split apart and created a new network and so that's caused some delays But uh, everything should be back on track now, fingers crossed. Hope I'm not jinxing it. So I appreciate all of your guys' patience, and we will talk to you on the other side. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre here we are welcome to the here we are podcast today i am talking with founder of dance safe harm reduction pioneer and director of the upcoming documentary mdma the movie emmanuel spurious joins me today did i did i nail your last name you you did it Uh, thank you shane whoo how are you Good, good good How are you? Uh, oh, I'm wonderful. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me in your home. We met the last time I was in Sacramento, coming through on tour, doing uh, doing my skits, my little mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Uh, met you afterwards, and then we um, we got to know each other over over the course of a while through emails, and uh, I had you on my my documentary. And which which we had many people in, and you you made the cut. You didn't end up <laughs> hey, on the cutting room great. floor. Um, <laughs> and which, don't forget the full day that we had to get to know each other with you in it, a hot tub. Yeah, for shooting for your documentary, right. which <laughs> did not work out in any way. Not no. not even close. We had uh, you you really shouldn't shoot things outside. We were trying to film this fun scene with me running through um, a bunch of stuff that I should have rehearsed and prepared more for uh, outside in a hot tub, and every time we hit record, an airplane would fly over, or a neighbor would um, start chopping down a tree, or uh, an ambulance would would go by, or there would be some sort of terrorist attack, or some sort of noise thing that, that uh, fate stopped me from being a part of your documentary no no um, there's still a chance yeah we should mm-hmm. still do it well, i'm i'm uh i'm i'm up for uh i'm up for filming that it's anytime. a fun scene
1: we could describe the the, the concept to people if they want to hear it
0: well i'm i'm more interested in well i guess maybe some of the fundraising might might be going toward getting me in your movie <laughs> we need money uh, to do uh, <laughs> any of
1: the next steps so yes that's so true.
0: so you're how far along are you Would you say, you
1: know, time wise, I would hope we're four fifths of the way through, meaning I've been working on it four years and we are uh, seriously hoping, expecting to finish by September to submit it to uh, Sundance. So it would then uh, be premiered uh, January 2019 at Sundance. If we're
0: accepted, that so so what what is the uh, how are you uh, this this round of fundraising? Um, where where can people go to to learn more uh, ah. and check out? Are people able to check out the trailer? And that's so you showed me a bunch of things already, so I I got. But I'm special. You are I got special. Sneak previews.
1: Uh, we have a long form fundraising trailer that gives away too much of the movie that we're only going to be showing privately to let's call them large funders, uh, Hollywood producers and millionaires in the, uh, in the community who might want to see this film get made. But that doesn't mean people can't give because a large portion of our funding has already come through crowdfunding. And we have an ongoing crowdfunding campaign up at MDMA, the com. click on the donate tab and, uh, Everyone who donates more than fifty dollars will, uh, their name will appear if they want it uh, to in the end credits of the film. Big thank you to everyone. Over a thousand people have contributed so far,
0: and they'll get to be a part of spreading a wonderful message. And if you happen to have fifty thousand dollars laying around, you get to see the lovely twenty-six minute version That's that right. I got. I, I I got I got I snuck in with my media pass. <laughs> One hundred thousand dollars gets you exactly eggs- Executive producer status. (laughs) Um, Well, so let's go through a little bit of your your background, I guess. So I, I do wonder how many of my listeners would know what Dance Safe is. I... I bet that a good number of listeners have heard of uh, have heard of of Dance Safe. It's a pretty popular organization, and um, and my listeners are into drugs. They, yeah. they
1: you know, I have a test when I meet a new person. You know, doesn't really know anything about me. I'll, I'll ask them if they've heard of Dance Safe, and you know. Maybe 40% of the people have, right? and 40% yeah. of the people that you meet have heard? Of, but uh, now, tip: remember, you know, the circles I run and right, et cetera, sure, right? But sure. then uh, if they haven't, I'll ask them uh, the second question, which is, have you heard of that organization that tests ecstasy tablets at raves and festivals to help users avoid the counterfeit pills? And they're like, oh, yeah, I have heard of that. And mm-hmm. that's about... 90 percent of the rest
0: yeah so, that's well that's yeah. that's more of a test of how cool the crowds are that you're hanging right. out with the more more than any if you just went back to my hometown of of uh, onalaska wisconsin and started walking around on the street i think those numbers would be a little bit lower but it is it is a really well-known um organization and uh And uh, how did it come about in the first place?
1: Well, so before DanceSafe, the only organization doing public ecstasy pill testing was the Dutch government. And so I have the claim to fame of being the first NGO, the first person to go out and start doing it on my own. I remember I went to the Club Health Conference, the first ever... Conference on harm reduction and nightclub health and safety. It was in Amsterdam in 1999. And when I told people we were doing pill testing, they were shocked. Like people from all over the world were there, other countries. How did you get permission to do pill testing in America, right, home of the drug war? And I had to say, permission? (laughs) We never got permission. I got a lawyer (laughs) before I went out to do it Mm because I fully expected I was going to get arrested. Just like needle exchange programs, uh, people got arrested and served time in prison, uh, took a lot of courageous activists to serve time before needle exchange became legal in probably over half the states now and tolerated most of the others. So, I kind of say the needle exchange activists sort of paved the way for pill testing services. Uh, although I expected to get arrested, uh, neither I nor any other Dance Safe volunteer has ever, or any user approaching the booth to get their uh, drugs tested, have ever been arrested. So,
0: so for people that don't know, um, uh, talk about what, what Dance Safe does. Exactly. Well, so
1: that's what made us famous, right? Um, the MDMA market, uh, MDMA was called Ecstasy. Uh, originally, and um, it took about you know, seven eight years before the market became highly adulterated with counterfeit pills. The precursors to make real MDMA were heavily controlled by the government, and it was risky and expensive to purchase uh, safrole. For the main precursor to make MDMA. and so, But the demand for MDMA when it became known was so high that you could produce any of a number of stimulant drugs uh, and full people, young people, who didn't know what MDMA actually felt like. Uh, and you could sell them something else and make a lot of money uh, by producing drugs far more cheaper and less risky to make. And well, two of them in particular, paramethoxyamphetamine, and its methylated version, paramethoxy, methamphetamine, PMA and PMMA, started killing people. People started dying in large numbers on the ecstasy, you know, taking ecstasy, uh, probably around 95-ish. And um, that led the Dutch government to start this program. And when I discovered they were doing it there, I, and that there was a chemical reagent, very easy, easy to make um, chemical mixture that you, you, I could do myself and uh, use in the field, I... I started doing it here.
0: I think when I was around nineteen years old I was at some keg party and someone sold me what they told me was ecstasy and I was drunk and just like Sure not really thinking about it and I think it was just like ibuprofen or something. Like I didn't even like look at what I (laughs) was doing. Well you got lucky then. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was just I was just thinking about how lucky (laughs) that actually was. At the time I didn't feel lucky. But that's a good segue
1: to the second aspect of dance safe which is that we're a harm reduction educational organization too and one of the first things we tell uh, young people who use party drugs is like don't don't take something after you get drunk right (laughs) so mix not just mixing drugs uh with alcohol can be dangerous but it's you can make poor decisions when you're drunk like not testing what you take first right right Yeah.
0: yeah i mean mdma is one of the ones out there that definitely gets mixed with alcohol i would say more than your more than say mushrooms or lsd i would say uh, MDMA has a uh, enough of a dopamine effect yeah. enough
1: of a you makes you feel good that it has more what they say abuse potential Mm-hmm. Um, and it's used, it's kind of broken out of the psychonaut community into more of a mainstream, a lot of, you know, fraternity sorority kids take Molly, as they call it now, uh, just to party and have fun. So it is used more like uh, cocaine, for example. Uh, but yet it has an overlap with the psychedelics and is still considered a uh, psychedelic and uh, my, which literally means a mind revealing drug. Uh, many people obtain great insights from it. In fact, it, uh, more than some of the other more than any of the other psychedelics, MDMA has been used as a therapeutic tool right uh, because of it, uh, the insights it can generate, particularly in relationships, your, your, your relationships with other people, couples, counseling, and of course now uh, post-traumatic stress disorder,
0: the FDA studies are underway using it to treat, to treat that. Yeah, you have a rather uh, personal story with with MDMA and and kind of some of the therapeutic uh, revelations that you had with some of your but uh, were you 16 years old or something like that when you first tried MDMA? I
1: yeah I was 16 I've been telling people 15 but I think I was actually 16 when I first took it and in 1986 one 15 year. sounds so much cooler though. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's true. 16 <laughs> lame. I, you know I I think the uh the earliest that most people probably take any illicit drug is 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 13 right probably mm. middle school ish maybe some people have smoked. Can't their big brother or sister gives them a joint or a hit or something like that? But middle school is really the age that most young people first become exposed to illicit drugs and where they first become become curious. So uh, that shocks a lot of people, you know, especially parents. I'm a step parent now, and I remember when my kids got to be teenagers and their friends and they were talking about Molly, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to. I have to walk the talk now. I've been a harm reduction activist for a long time, but when you see your kids, you're like, oh, and I, you know, had those same fears that parents have. Uh, what do you do? Um, so my wife and I talked, and we decided we we're going to be completely honest. You know, we're not going to judge. You know, and and um, uh, I think it's been the right decision. Um, uh, neither of our kids are uh, getting into trouble with uh, any drugs, and
0: uh, hmm. Well, yeah. my my parents were super super strict and uh, didn't work at all. So yeah, uh, right. so <laughs> so I think and I and I was buying things that may or may not have been ibuprofen when I was lucky. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I remember may I w- have made the right
1: move when I was in my thirties. I told my mother how I had t- t- taken mushrooms and LSD and MDMA. Uh, when, and, and, of course, cannabis when I was a teenager. And she started crying. <laughs> was when like, you oh, were no. 30? I told her when I was in, she thought it was a reflection of her bad parenting. And I was like, no, no, mom, you don't understand. This was all positive for me. You know, It right. wasn't, didn't lead me down a road to drug addiction. It actually helped me uh, to come into myself and self-actualize. So, Yeah, what was
0: your experience when you were 16?
1: oh well so you know my story with mdma is probably very interesting and unique and i, I wasn't going to put a section in the film about it but everyone tells me that i really need to and my co-director people love can, a personal story right what motivate i mean when i was on duncan's podcast for example the first thing he asked me is like why did you start doing this and i started telling about the dutch government he was like no that's not what i'm asking you Look, what made you do? Nobody would do. It. Why did you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, what I never told reporters back when I was uh, the founding Dance Safe, when I was the executive director was that uh, really the main reason was because I wanted to honor this drug that had saved my life. Uh, because I wanted to stay on message at that time, right? With harm reduction, you know, drugs can be dangerous and, you know, we can't stop people from using them. So we need to educate them and give them uh, service tools so that they can be safe. Right. Uh, But now that, you know, I'm no longer affiliated with the unsafe, it's continued on all this time without me. I'm an independent actor now and I'm, you know, more in a a, a journalist role making this film. I can, I can tell the truth and like I can tell you right now that uh, yeah, I was a, I was a runaway when I was a kid. My my home was abusive and I had left and was living in a warehouse in Florida. And I happened to meet some Quakers, uh, some adults who were part of the uh, American Friends Service Committee, the political arm of the Quakers activists. And um, they sort of uh, became mentors and I became a, a young activist early on. And I think there was one time when I was talking about my father and, uh, Pat uh, said to me, have you ever considered therapy? <laughs> and it was one of those moments in your life that you remember, you know, because I didn't have so much respect for them. They were the first grownups in my life that re- treated me with respect. I remember when I met them, they asked me what I thought about things, you know, and prior to that, you had teachers and, you know, clerks at the store and, you know, it, it, I also grew happened to grow up in the retirement capital of the country, St. Pete, Florida. You know, oh yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I spent, spent some time in St. Pete. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I had kind of a chip on my shoulder about old people. You know, very, very much that that Holden Caulfield kind of, you know, this whole world is fake. You know, and and it was on kind of a self-destructive path. And and I I think the first thing really that got me out of that was m- meeting these two folks. They were also gay. The first adult gay people out. Gay people I ever met, a man and a woman. They were in a couple, uh, and they worked for the AFSC. So that you know, the issues at the time then was the arms race. Reagan was the president, and nuclear weapons, and the uh, Contras in Nicaragua. And so you know, I just started you know becoming a youth activist, getting learning about progressive issues like this. And uh, but then they they said oh, you should really do therapy, and it kind of stuck with me. But of course, I wasn't able. I was a homeless teenager with no money. How am I going to afford therapy, right? And uh, I, I, a friend of mine did tell me about co-counseling. Have you ever heard of RC, re-evaluation counseling, also called co-counseling? No. Yeah, it was presented to me like it was a, a, this people's therapy movement, right? You you went to, there was a group in St. Pete, Florida. You went to the group, and it was free, and they taught you basic therapy skills, and then you took turns, half an hour with one other person, you would play the role of the therapist, listen to them, and then you'd switch places and they would play, play the role. And I was like, wow, oh, this is great, right? The idea was great. You know, free people's therapy. Why do you have to pay all this money, to, you know, $300 for 50 minutes to you know, a
0: professional? Right, right. <laughs>
1: but you know it was weird because they had this big emphasis on crying like you had to cry in order to heal they kept saying and here i was like the only teenager in the group with all these people my parents age who when i would do this with them they would be crying about their childhood abuse and i would think you know aren't you supposed to not cry after you heal like they had been in part of this group for years and years and I wasn't. I didn't cry. Like I hated my father. I hated myself. I was angry at what happened. You know. And my trauma was like yesterday, whereas theirs was like fifteen years ago. And 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 so, I just I, I i went like four or five times, and then and then I left. Like this isn't working for me. I later found out that reevaluation counseling is actually a cult started by a colleague of. Elron Hubbard, and, really? and yeah, and the crying was part of like the demonstrating your loyalty to the group, and so I'm I kind of glad I got out of it when uh, when I did. It was many years later that I learned this, you know, the but, crying cult. Yeah, that's right, the therapy cult. Uh, not to say it hasn't helped people, you know, I, you know, a lot of cults have helped that's people. That's right. why get in, get out quick enough, <laughs> you'll be all right. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do? And then I remember I was back at the um, AFSC office and they had a subscription to Newsweek. And April 1985 was the first ever article in a mainstream magazine about MDMA. And it was all about its use as therapy. The DEA had just announced their intention to ban it. And the therapists had just filed their class action lawsuit to stop. Stop it! And the hearings were coming up that summer. And there was one paragraph in there about how some people in Texas were using it recreationally. But the entire article was about its use in therapy. The statements like four years of therapy in four hours and lets you get in touch with repressed emotions and memories and feelings. And so I just said to myself, wow, man, to honor these Quakers that I met, that I, I wanted to do therapy. I wanted to like see what this was and see if I could heal all right I sought it out it took me uh, a year to find it and by the time I found it uh, it was illegal but of course that didn't stop me but I, I, I first took MDMA with my best friend with the intention of talking to him about my father and things that happened to me when I was growing up with in, in that household and um, and that's what I did and it was uh, uh, you know not just the first time, but I would say you know the the first half a dozen times that I did it with this specific intention it was extraordinarily helpful and healing for me and i having interviewed now for my movie uh you know, close to a dozen uh people with PTSD or formerly with PTSD, who had gone through the MAPS studies uh, to treat their PTSD with MDMA, uh, I, I now realize I had PTSD, that, that that's you know, what was going on, and that PTSD is largely, if not entirely, a self-identity uh, disorder. It is a moral trauma that affects you. Everyone suffers trauma, the but when it becomes debilitating to such a degree that you uh, are given the label of uh, PTSD, where it affects your day-to-day life, it's progressive, it gets worse and worse, is when you've internalized that trauma in such a way that you blame yourself. Whether it's a soldier who um, uh, killed civilians uh, or didn't do enough to save their fellow soldiers, Or a child who suffered abuse, uh, children often blame themselves as a survival mechanism uh, because it's much, uh, in an ironic way, safer to think there's something wrong with you than there's something wrong with your caregivers who you're so dependent upon. And so really, I forgave my father through these MDMA experiences, but I think I also learned to love myself, which I definitely didn't uh, at the time when I first took MDMA.
0: That's amazing. My first MDMA experience was just like at a drinking party or whatever. I mean, we still did it for Quakers. Um <laughs> we still this is for the Quaker. In fact, <laughs> every time I do psychedelics, like anytime I'm going to smoke DMT or something, it's it's always for the Quakers. I never forget the Quakers. But Very good. um <laughs> but I I definitely I didn't even um I didn't know until probably five years ago or something like that 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 people even did MDMA for some sort of a therapeutic. I had done it a few times in right. around my college years, and I was like, "Yeah, that's kind of fun," but I didn't really get much out of it. And it wasn't until recently when I started doing some with my girlfriend here and there when I when I realized the uh-huh. uh, the therapeutic value for my own. Uh, use, but I also just never. I was never in like a set and setting. I never had the intention of of using it for therapy. You're probably um, in the norm, like right. most
1: people are introduced to MDMA and other psychedelics as party drugs, and it comes with this connotation of just pleasure fun, maybe even hedonism and vice. And in, in fact, I think that l- l- leads to less healthy relationships with drugs, and it's a product of the drug war. And one thing I, that I want to do in my film is to sort of redefine drugs in ways that acknowledge their benefits, because I think that actually has a greater impact on reducing the harms than just telling people, oh, this can be dangerous. Be careful. This can happen. That can happen. Be careful. You know, once you redefine drugs as things that have value, uh, then people will use them more responsibly. And so, it's the drug war that denies the benefits of various drugs that I think contributes more greatly to the abusive drug-taking behavior, self-destructive drug use, et cetera.
0: Also, if you are going to do a drug to party, you might want to be aware of that <laughs> that you might accidentally start. Uh, reliving some past childhood <laughs> trauma or that something like, like that. That has happened to people. That is true. That's, that's <laughs> something you're definitely going to want to know before you like go to a concert on your birthday with some friends and drop some molly to have a wee
1: fun That is party definitely time. true. You know, I've also thought a lot about why you may affect some people <laughs> so differently, right? Uh, I think there's a... Many of us who've had these profound uh, healing experiences on it, and uh, but there's a lot of people who haven't who for whom MD may really has only been just kind of a fun uh, experience. Maybe you bond with your friends who you're out with a little more than usual. And I read an article today, a study today that could be related to uh, our genetic uh, oxytocin receptor uh, variants that mm-hmm. some people have a. They call it the G-allel, I guess it's the longer allele, more responsive to oxytocin, the hormone that uh, makes us feel feel love and bonding emotions uh, because we know that MDMA causes a release of oxytocin and uh, that that could be related to you know why some of us have more profound experience than others or it could also be related to the amount of trauma and PTSD that we're suffering right Maybe not everyone has had the idyllic childhood that you've right. had uh, Shane and right. so
0: <laughs> it is uh, yeah I did have a very nice did you
1: I made that up but yeah. no
0: I did I had a very leave it to be like the only problem My parents were a little more strict than I would have liked them to be. (laughs) Really, poor
1: poor kid. i I I some MDMA
0: man. I know, I know. It's it's just uh, I take MDMA and then it just like reveals my privilege, and then I think about the suffering of others. (laughs) Is what is the therapeutic thing Uh that it does for me? Well, two things. One. I enjoy that you um, are such an advocate for MDMA that uh, you were just reading articles today about it. This is <laughs> this is very much your life. I'm I'm well. I'm, I am making a movie about it, after right? All. But I'm making a movie as well, and I hardly ever <laughs> do any research. Uh-huh. Uh, um, my movie is a little bit different. It's more like let's follow Shane as he gets into weird situations. <laughs> um, uh-huh. but but um but and i'm i'm uh, here in in well outside of sacramento i'm doing a show and uh and i'm crashing at your your place for a couple nights while i do the show and already since i've been here i think you've noticed or you you've mentioned four different articles when you're on your computer, you're researching MDMA. You are well. You, you are you are working toward being the world's leading authority on on MDMA. I I know most scientists that I interview take a break from some of the <laughs> work that they're right, doing right. to read about other things once in a while. Well, but I'm, you are...
1: i you know I, I, I might also be um on the spectrum.
0: Oh, I've okay. always
1: wondered that, you know, because I've always been into puzzles and mm. games and I, I typically enjoy social interaction when it's about an in-depth and a topic. Yeah. And it could be – and I, I was kind of nerdy kid and I remember not having a lot of friends in grade school. So, you know, taking MDMA as many times as I did as a teenager – uh, may have helped me with that, too, because yeah. we know there are also studies underway uh, using MDMA with adults on the autism spectrum because that helps them to understand the emotions of others and connect and bond. Yeah. So,
0: I, I felt the same way, but I, also I don't know. I, I think that I may be or have been on the spectrum in the past and psychedelics helped with me as well. Or it might just be that being on the spectrum is all a rage these days. <laughs> it is like the coolest thing. That's right. Like being gender <laughs> fluid. <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that could be. But I um, I was going to say, it's not just MDMA. I do feel like every psychedelic has a little bit of... of uh, I mean, set and setting is is a very big thing. And I do think that... I I know a lot of people that have only done mushrooms and LSD in a party type of setting. And like, well, we're going to a concert. We'll drop acid for this concert. And it's never even occurred to them to just get together with their best friend or a very, very small group of people and do it in this very personal uh, setting. And it's definitely too... Very, very different worlds, yeah, right? Well, you ban
1: something and frame it. Culture, our culture, frames these things as, you know, hedonistic vices, and then, and you create that effect that you. Say right, I mean that that's the uh, self fulfilling prophecy of the drug war, and what I think we should change. You know, most of these drugs were used ritualistically as medicines by uh, indigenous cultures. I'm, I'm not obviously not MDMA, mm-hmm. but uh, mushrooms and ayahuasca and uh, peyote and San Pedro, and and, and while you know the, what the the thing that um, I noticed when I first started going to raves is that it's just what you're saying, right? Uh, when I started Dance Safe, like I, I had only ever used psychedelics or any drug really, with the exception of alcohol and weed, um, I'd only ever used them Ritualistically, for with intention for insight, maybe ther- therapy. I mean, LSD. You know, I, before I did LSD, I read you know Timothy Leary and Aldous Huxley and Ginsburg, and I, I went with a small group of friends into the woods, right, so we wouldn't encounter cops and family members who walk in on you or strangers at a party that could like, you know, someone wants to pick a fight with you. You know, I read the how-to manual essentially, you know, right. and, and I think I was a little naive about this even into my 20s because I, w- I was 29 when I started Dance Safe and I really thought that I was just starting an organization to help people find Real MDMA, because without this the testing kits, the, it was hit or miss, and people were, had to take the risk, right? And then I remember being at one of my, uh, the first massives, as they were called, these very the, the largest raves at the time in Oakland were about five to ten thousand people. and uh, I saw a girl walking around. she looked like she might have been 15 or 16 with a little glass bottle and a little spoon, like a Coke spoon. Uh, That's the only reference I had. when you have a little bottle of white powder and a spoon. And she was like offering, taking a little spoonful of this white powder and offering it to to people saying, bump a K, bump a K. I didn't even know what she was saying because I'd never heard of ketamine at the time. She was offering people bumps of ketamine. And I saw other (laughs) miners leaning over and snorting a white powder off a spoon from a total stranger. And it freaked my shit I was like, "Where am I? Like, I would never have done anything like that. Like, what? Like, what does that even K even mean? How do you know that's K?" And this is my my brain started spinning, and I real uh, this is where I started critiquing the drug war, realizing, "Wow, this is like these people are a part of this drug culture that I was never a part of." Mm-hmm. Um, and I had and Dan safe I-, I wanted to expand what we did to help. Create a positive drug culture, a culture of, uh, you know, within the music community or wherever, where people actually considered their health and safety and why they're doing something, you know, and and so on. All of the Dance Safe Drug Info Cards, we have these drug info, these four by six, glossy, you know, cool cards for young people. You know, we we see our info cards geared towards young people first coming into the scene, first getting exposed to drug use. And one thing that we say on all the cards is, like, say, if it's a mu- the mushroom card, if you choose to use magic mushrooms, knowing why can help prevent you from having bad trips and, you know, having problems with it, you know? Right. Under, it's a, it's almost like a tautology, you know, but but you can see people kind of wake up when they read it and like, huh, yeah, am I doing this without even knowing why? Yeah. Have an intention. If you choose to take LSD, having an intention before you do so can be very helpful, right? Something so simple like that, but that most people don't, young people don't think about in our culture when it's just a rebellious act to to take these drugs.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that psychedelics are just such a different thing and people don't know that and alcohol is really kind of the only thing that you're familiar with and Mm -hmm. you grow up watching... um, Animal house or something like that, you know, where, where this is what you do. You go to college, you do keg stands and snort cocaine or whatever. And, and so every drug is a party drug. And because the idea of, 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 uh, being in some, Five to 10,000 person rave and then like, hey, would you like to snort a disassociative and black out and have a conversation with the universal consciousness right now? Like That that seems like if you actually knew what you were getting into, that seems like such a bizarre choice to make. You know, I've always
1: wondered why people liked using ketamine in party settings. I enjoy it on the couch alone when, you know, but i you know I will to sit
0: and be safe right right and i I'm, detach from your <laughs> regular conscious experience that's
1: right, but you know small doses I think have a different effect, but I've also right. wondered why I, people I like small doses experience. yeah right. i if I'm going to do ketamine, I like to do a f- big dose in astral project right? Like, right 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 yeah, that's, that's my me. only
0: experience with uh-huh. it, but i'm uh I'm just into big doses in general but I, I the other point that I was going to make is is that let's uh, let's not forget, and I know that you won't deny this: that that uh, that psychedelics can be a wonderful, fun experience as well. There is a lot of when we talk about harm reduction, and when we talk about all of the research happening and uh, carrying or uh, treating, I should say, PTSD and, and uh, maybe helping uh, people on the spectrum and all these uh, cluster headaches, who knows all these wonderful possibilities. It is a little bit like, I, I mean... It, it, that that's just the easier thing to sell in our broken system. Come uh, on, Shane. On you should only on
1: only <laughs> ever take a drug for a strict medical or scientific <laughs> purpose. You know, I know some psychonauts who claim that too. You know, but the the psychonauts who really have that kind of highbrow attitude, you know, yeah, like, I only use these for therapeutic. Like many of them have like taken like more ginormous doses <laughs> than anyone I yeah, know. Yeah. You know, so I fully agree with you. And even fun and recreation can be therapeutic. Because you know, one thing I say to people yeah. is your intention. It doesn't matter what it is. If your intention is to have fun, you know, and to feel euphoria, to feel pleasure, that's fine. Knowing your intention, knowing why you're doing it, it can be purely for pleasure. But then you'll be more able to understand when you're when you're going too far, when you've taken too much, when you're using too often, and you're not experiencing so much pleasure. And the downside, it's just being aware. And I, you're fully right, one of the things my movie's going to do is uh, I'm trying to break down that barrier between the therapeutic advocates for psychedelics and the... Uh, young people, people who just like to do it for fun. They didn't have that distinction in, uh, we, when we were in tribal cultures, did not make the distinction like we do today, separate mental health from real life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we we have ayahuasca rituals today that come from the indigenous tradition where people take it in groups and they take it together and uh, taking psychedelics at music events and partying and loving the people you're around and hugging people. All of that is part and parcel of mental
0: health. It needs yeah. to be. Yeah. Laughing can be therapeutic. Just because you're laughing doesn't right. mean you're performing some hedonistic thing. Right. So al- along with helping to
1: reframe MDMA and these other drugs as drugs that have potential benefits, I also, this movie is also uh, one of a kind in that it, its primary theme is focusing on removing the stigma and getting, mm-hmm. you know, say the non-drug users uh, who, a little bit harder to get them into the door of the movie theater, right, but to, right, to leave that theater saying, wow, maybe I'm judging these right, people who right, are right. using and, drugs and I shouldn't And that,
0: that is why we sell the therapeutic effects. So, not that they aren't really, really important, and they are but but it is why why people are sometimes i think a little overly serious with it and and kind of forget about the fun right, aspects right. i mean i i had um so i i just got back from this jamaica psilocybin retreat and there was this this one person there who uh and and if if you happen to be listening I'm not saying this about you in a disparaging way, but he he was very serious about you know he was he was on like this is a spiritual mission for him and and he had been doing some some underground therapy with uh with psilocybin and he he's like i don't know if he was exploring past trauma or if he's tapping into this primal self and he, he was he had these very serious practices and and he's like Doing like weird screaming ritual things in the middle of it, like exulting this demons or whatever it might <laughs> and then and then like at the end of it, he was he said one of the best aspects of it was on the last it was four um four sessions, and on the last one. Uh, he got the most out of it because he kind of gave all that up uh-huh, and right. just relaxed into it a little bit right. and that right. ended up being the most therapeutic thing for him and so that it is I don't think that we should we should be careful about separating and taking it too damn seriously it, it's just that then you worry about people like oh they just want to have fun and, and like well who fucking cares first of all but uh right. but yeah I I mean I <laughs> I uh, people are like oh, Oh, do you do psychedelics? You think it makes you cool? Like, well, kind of. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think psychedelics actually have made me a much cooler person, and I'm happy to say that. I don't. I don't think that I you much more to... enjoy
1: hanging out with people who have taken psychedelics yeah. than people who have never taken. Them, yeah.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that they have made me more comfortable with myself. Mm-hmm. I think they've made me more creative and, and everything yeah. else. So. and
1: let me say like, my my reaction when I saw that girl you know and handing out bumps of K and people was not look at these irresponsible kids in my mind immediately went to look what culture the drug war has created right and it wasn't uh, that fun wasn't you know that you should only do these things for medical purposes right right. it was more like just be intentional we're out having fun now and that's okay but knowing why you're doing and and researching it, understanding as much as you can
0: about it you know yeah i i just wanted to say that psychedelics yeah. can make you cool um Woo! i thought that was worth finding out <laughs>
1: hey steve jobs uh, so, did psychedelics oh, come on. We, everyone knows that what's, uh, coo- what's cooler than the mac
0: right <laughs> <laughs> such a sleek design there's different colors you, you can yeah. pick out. um n- computers not just for nerds anymore <laughs> um so within making this uh, this document, and this is this is the first documentary that you've ever made, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I was
1: going to write a book, but I realized nobody reads books, so I said, "Okay, change
0: the world." You got to make a movie. Well, uh, people buy books put them on shelves <laughs> so their friends think they they read them and then you can use the and then right. you can read the first couple chapters just in case someone uh mm-hmm. asks about that book you can tell them a little bit that's my move but i also um,
1: might write a book uh, to go along with the movie it's called mdma the book
0: Wait, how did you come up with that title? (laughs) You just knocked it out of the park with it. It was actually my director of
1: photography who came up with that idea. I think it was brilliant. You know, and when we start doing marketing, (laughs) the coffee cup, instead of saying MD made the movie on the coffee, MD made the coffee cup. Right. Uh, Wow. MD made the t shirt. Just knocking
0: it out (laughs) of the park. So, what are the, uh, you had all of this, um, all of this experience leading into that you had you had founded dance safe and then um did did you kind of did you resign to take on other advocacy roles what was your um why why did you leave dance safe originally or, or part, well, part ways
1: a lot of people say that you know i have the myers briggs personality type of an e n f j mm-hmm and uh, not that I'm into, like, Myers-Briggs or anything, but one thing that ENFJ is supposed to have, uh, they're really good at starting things, yeah. but they're not good at maintaining Oh, that's things. my jam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And so I, I think when I resigned... Uh, it was good for the organization, you know, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I've started a lot of other projects, successful projects in my past, you know. Uh, we can go into that later, but you know, and then, then, so here I'm making this movie, and that that that's sort of right up my alley, you know. Like, uh,
0: you you make it, it's done, and you don't have to maintain it. So I wanted to ask, in so you were quite the expert already when making this movie. Is there anything that you've learned? Um, well, this whole the whole well absolutely. In the fact, process? yeah, 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 absolutely. The entire like
1: grand story arc of the film involves me uh, after a thirteen year hiatus, um, getting back involved in uh, the harm reduction scene because I learned that. Uh, fatalities from molly or ecstasy had increased tenfold when i resigned and i go on an expiration to find out why why mm-hmm. why are more people dying right my stepdaughter is right now getting it to the age where you know entering middle school and my organization has been around 17 years or you know and fatalities have increased tenfold like What's new? What's different? And so a lot of this movie is about me exploring why things have gotten worse since, and it it all points back to prohibition. Uh, The dark net has caused the proliferation of hundreds of new drugs. The bath salts appeared, uh, and they're all being sold as molly, again, because the demand for MDMA is so high, and the price point, uh, for methalone uh, and some of these cheaper uh, stimulant drugs are so low, you can make a lot of money. Um, that's only one of the reasons why I, the fatalities have increased. So I've learned a lot about that. And uh, certainly I've learned a lot about PTSD uh, interviewing the, uh, the people I have. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a comprehensive, it, it's really a, it's a drug policy reform documentary through the lens of MDMA. I like to say that MDMA is the drug to end the drug war. The biggest mistake yeah. the DEA made was to ban MDMA because um, before that, and and, and uh, one of the consultants on my film, he wrote Drugs Unlimited, a uh, 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 uh Mike Powers a UK uh, investigative journalist wrote a great book about the dark net and drugs it's called Drugs Unlimited everyone should read it uh thank you Mike now you got to People don't me, read it. you uh, already know yeah. that you already told yeah. me yeah but we're going to interview him so he's going to be in the documentary so you can you can learn about uh, him through <laughs> my movie um he said, and this is a, this is kind of, I think, a pretty pretty uh, pretty common. People our age, you know, mid forties, and uh, back when you know we were growing up, like you know, drugs were not cool, right? Drugs, right? Like the, you know whether you're in the got through the Dare program or not, you know, oh, there are these addictive things or whatever, right? And um, and then he said, and then he and his friends we took MDMA, and we realized. Drugs are cool, (laughs) you know, because the drug war is maintained by the internalization of the uh, demonization of, of drugs and drug war culture if you know y- you can take cocaine you can certainly drink alcohol and uh, c- and maybe you'll have fun and but and you you'll say to yourself though yeah I'm having a good time but I know I really shouldn't be doing this this is like you, you, you judge yourself I'm, I'm bad for doing this this isn't good for me and I'm just being reckless blah 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 but yeah. it's very hard to take MDMA and still feel that about yourself right. because it's primary psychological action is to give you self-acceptance and you care about other people. You want to apologize to your girlfriend. You want to call your mom up and tell her something you've been wanting to tell her forever. Like all these good things. It brings the best out in many people. And then you realize, my God, they totally lied to me about drugs. And, and I think many people uh become activists to end the drug war after taking MDMA. Of course, you could
0: say the same thing about a lot of other drugs, too. But. It's going to change the stereotype of, of drugs once, once parents start getting calls from <laughs> – it used to be like, my kid's going to get hooked on the crack and they're going to be homeless in the street robbing from people and breaking into people's homes right. and committing armed robbery. Instead, the future is going to be like, my child just called and told me how much they love me. I think they're hooked on the <laughs> – DMA. <laughs> it's, it,
1: it, it's not as far fetched as you're saying, because back in the late 90s, NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, put out a pamphlet and on her website uh, uh, for parents how to know whether your child <laughs> is using ecstasy. And one of the things that they actually had there was if your child tells you they love you. <laughs> that's a sign that they're using it. something's the wrong <laughs> right so i
0: know my parents would be a little <laughs> suspicious if i called to have a heart to heart i'd be like uh-oh Something are wrong. you on drugs <laughs> yeah and then uh, that, too- that's also what does that say about the world too and just the culture that we that we it's true. live in here's it's-
1: another one down when the uh, los angeles county was thinking of banning uh, edm festivals after someone died at hard summer uh, this was a few years ago uh the county board of supervisors met and, and the coalition of community members from the police and as well as harm reduction all got together. I went down to one of those meetings and they um, put together, we put together, uh, actually, I didn't personally work on it, but other, my colleagues in the harm reduction community with the police collaborated on putting together a Pamphlet to distribute uh, that was harm, and and it was a pretty good job uh, as far as harm reduction goes. But they also had their obligatory warnings about and the effects of uh, ecstasy, and that was pretty all. It was all negative, right? Mm. As more of the police had that side of the card and then right. the, 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 uh, the other side. So the effects of ecstasy there, you know, a lot of them is typical, like, you know, nausea, anxiety, panic, all these things that you make you scratch your head and wonder, you know, like, why would anyone want to take this drug if these are the effects? Like, no good effect at all. A lot of them were just recycled from the, the NIDA website. But there was a new one that I had never seen on there before, which, again, I think speaks to our culture. The They had one of the effects of taking MDMA was False sense of emotional closeness. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "Why is it false?" You know, like they can they can take like even the positive benefit and turn it into a negative. You know, can't possibly be real if if you're on a drug when you experience it, right? Well,
0: I mean, I get it. You get a little, you get a little too lovey-dovey with like your girlfriend's friends or something you like you That, know, that like is a... true. Maybe they're onto
1: something because one of our warnings, uh, one of the most important pieces of harm reduction advice for people taking ecstasy, is never make uh, relationship uh,
0: okay. decisions while under the influence. Yeah, you don't want to propose uh-huh. well on <laughs> MDMA. <laughs> um, well maybe if you've planned it out ahead of time. Um Yes, that's right. <laughs> Let's
1: take MDMA and uh
0: <laughs> see how <all> the deal <laughs> right. Um so so you had it what what kind of um I'm trying to think of of some of this so you had vets, you had victims of of uh, sexual abuse. No, childhood rape survivor. Right. Mm-hmm. In the movie. Yeah. Um, what what were the other... Uh... We have
1: a mother who um, whose daughter died at Echo Stage, a nightclub in D.C. Uh, after uh, taking MDMA of heat stroke. Uh, uh, and she launched a political campaign to amend the Rave Act which was passed in 2003, sort of an expansion of the crack house laws Mm -hmm. that holds venue owners and promoters responsible if people use drugs at their events. And this has caused what we call the ostrich syndrome, where they either pretend there's no drugs here or they only take a zero tolerance approach. Uh, and uh, the the rave act single handedly more than anything else has prevented promoters from working with Dance Safe and other harm reduction groups to create environments that are safe uh, for people who might be taking MDMA or other drugs. The main risk being heat stroke. MDMA, like all serotonergic drugs, increases your risk of heat stroke. And so, if you're in a very hot environment, like the oversold crowd on the dance floor at Echo Stage, where it was over 100 degrees, uh, and this young uh, you know woman uh, was Right in the middle up front, it would have have had to fight her way through a crowd of sweaty guys to get anywhere. And there was nowhere even to go, right, because there was no chill room. And they had matrons in the bathroom preventing you from refilling your water bottles because they wanted to sell you water. All these horrible policies that just make the, the most dangerous place. Uh, Anyway, she starts a camp. We follow her in the movie along her political campaign. We also follow a recreational user who takes... A responsible user. They test their pills at a festival. She and her best friend do it for her birthday with just the intention to have fun and go dancing and, as they say, feel loved up. So we show the ring. Then we show a couple who uses it for marriage therapy Oh right, yeah, yeah, four
0: times a year. They call it their three-month marriage audit. That's an important one for Mm -hmm. it. That's... I mean, again, leave it to be your upbringing. So I've I've seen the most therapeutic benefit from the the relationship. It's a very uh, common of- way that people use MDMA. The public doesn't know about, and so. so- so um, that that brings me to the last little thing as we are closing out, let's try to, and this is sort of the thing that we might uh, be kind of putting together in the in the credits, trying to do like a little funny scene about this, but we'll we'll make it uh, a little more serious. So someone's listening, they're interested. They want to do MDMA and uh, and they are wondering what to do. Uh, Let's give them a little 101 because I am someone who has done most every drug in all the wrong ways. I have done MDMA without testing it. In very high quantities, in a hundred and four degree hot tub, while drinking alcohol. Yeah. And, uh, bad idea. And, and so I I have I have checked uh, many of those uh, negative boxes. So uh, I'm a good demonstration of what not to do. But I've gotten very lucky. But people don't want to. People shouldn't take chances like I. And this is also I didn't I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Um, right. at at the time that i did that as well so let's go through some of the basics one um how are people finding good mdma if someone wants to go out and get themselves some mdma uh what what are you what are we thinking well the most
1: uh, the the most important thing uh when you're buying any illicit drugs is to know your dealer uh well yeah. uh these days though the dark net has sort of provided an alternative to that if you do, if you aren't well connected and know your dealer then um, or if your
0: dealer is just annoying sometimes your dealer is a really <laughs> annoying person and makes you like play with their iguana or whatever. I know And you have to stay there for half an hour <laughs> and 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 because you, black don't, you don't you don't want
1: to pretend like you're only uh, there to buy drugs yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you can avoid all that. If, if yes, uh, the dark net. Now I've never used the dark net, uh, really. But many, many people uh, do today. And uh, I used it once. It uh, was awesome. Uh, you did, huh? Yeah, you have. It was right, great. Great. Right. And the drugs got mailed to you, and yeah, you, you I, checked the I, ratings to see, make sure this person was yeah, legit. Yeah, I, I got some. Yeah. Um,
0: I got some LSD. Um, um, um. Oh crap! What's the why am i having a brain fart all of a sudden the lsd analogs oh I yeah got, i got some mm-hmm. pretty decent lsd analogs from a place somewhere uh some germany or something uh-huh. like that and and then as an added bonus because it's legal then like once you're possessing oh yeah it, like right the analog right. laws mm-hmm. you can like possess it you're not supposed to ship it but then once it's in your home it's the this is all this is all uh in the past. So, sorry coppers, but you can't get me. <laughs> You're, You're arrested. You were in the, on an
1: illegal drug in the past. <laughs> no, I have to tell a lot of the subjects in my film that too. Like, you know, taking MDMA on camera for me, they were a little uh, nervous about that, yeah. you know. Really the risk of, you know, is that a potential future employer might see it in right right, you know, right right so they had to, had to sign a 15 page waiver form. my attorney wrote but it's not illegal to even be in on drugs and camera in the past
0: right know, so. yeah i think that you can't like be filming a drug deal going on like i think oh, that, really i think that i can't go hey emmanuel i'm here is some mdma I would like twenty dollars for this, and then you go, okay, Shane. Here is twenty dollars. I think that huh. we could. I think that we could actually get in trouble for that. Uh-huh. Just so people know before they start, don't uh, post YouTube videos in, of yourself selling you, drugs. You yep. Selfies of going to your drug deal. I'm here with my drug dealer picking up some cocaine. That
1: question never even came up with my lawyer because we have we had no intention of right, doing that right, anyway. Right. So.
0: Uh, um. So, uh, possibly uh, trust your dealer. Possibly, uh, do some research and, and always test it first. Even club.
1: I think you know every batch.
0: Test it first. The Dance Safe sells uh testing kits online. There's a lab program you can send a sample to. Because it is important to point out, although Dance Safe wonderful organization and they can test and find out that there is MDMA in the product, they are testing for MDMA. They aren't testing for what kind of all. Adulterants, my. That's right. The, the, the reagent it, they aren't kits testing for purity. Yes, the chemical kits only detect the presence
1: of. If you want to know for sure, it needs to be tested at a laboratory. And ecstasydata.org is one where you can use you anonymously send. You only have to send twenty milligrams. It does cost a little money. Uh, but then uh, within a couple of weeks, you'll get the uh, results back and you'll know exactly what's in it. And I'd like to say it's even more important that if you deal at all, even if you just give pills away to anyone, uh, you have a responsibility for them. And so dealers should even more it's more important for them to test their
0: batch before they start uh, distributing. Yeah, and it. then that's just more uh, even if you don't care about. Uh, about people's lives uh, because you're shitty Um, that's still just more probability that that's going to come back on you if something does go wrong with someone that you sold to. Uh, Your next life will suck. Yeah, Yeah. well that could come back at you because they could (laughs) if the cops show up then Mm -hmm. that's one step closer to you there's no reason not to test and uh, as I always say uh, when you find a good dealer, everybody tip your dealer. Um, I, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of tipping your dealer. Come on, they don't, they they're don't not making enough. minimum wage now; <laughs> <laughs> they set their own prices. Um, so okay, so now now you have your uh, your drugs. You've done your testing um what what's the recommended uh dosage dosing is a <clears throat> hard one because different people
1: need a different amounts mm-hmm. depending on their genetic profile but generally speaking the vast majority of us 90 uh, something percent uh, are normal metabolizers of the primary enzyme that breaks down MDMA called the CYP2D6 P450 enzyme. Can you repeat that? Don't worry about it. And you just need to know 100, 125 milligrams is a proper recreational dose for the vast majority of people um, who are newbies. I think there's a slight tolerance that builds up uh, over time. But the most important thing that people need to know is that unlike most any other drug, you cannot just up the dose with MDMA and right. uh, chase that the is, high.
0: That is one of the things that I think most people don't know. I know I certainly didn't. Right. It's not. It's not cocaine where you can just take another bump and expect right. to get All dreads, somewhere close. Great. Right?
1: The- you get. You smoke pot you get high you smoke more you get higher you come down you take you smoke more you get high again right most drugs work that way cuz most drugs work on recep postsynaptic receptors they they mimic uh, natural a neurotransmitter in the brain. And so it's like you're giving, you know, but, but when you take MDMA, you're not, it's not like the MDMA is acting like serotonin and it's hitting the serotonin receptors. Uh-uh. MDMA just causes your brain to release the serotonin that it has mm-hmm. in storage naturally. And it takes a week or two, depending on diet and genetics, to fully replenish that serotonin after you've released it. And during that time, you you can't take the same amount of MDMA. You can't take more and feel the full effects. You just have to wait. And on a given night, you can't just keep... Uh, redosing. And one of the problems is the market was saturated with bath salts. And you know, particularly around 2011 to 2013, the vast majority of molly was actually methylene. And with these bath salts, you can keep redosing. But young people all thought they were taking MDMA. And uh, so then suddenly, uh, you get real MDMA for the first time, and you're taking way too much, and you're redosing throughout the night, and that increases your his- risk of hyperthermia and heat stroke. And there have been some fatalities that I've researched, spoken to, interviewed for, fa- friends and family friends who were with them and it's very 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 clear that that's what was going on they were basing their dosing on on bath salts not realizing that they were taking different drugs
0: Mm. um i just did some mda uh Mm -hmm. the other night uh three or four nights ago uh, I had um, so having a scale that's good oh I I get capsules um, too so that you don't have to taste the stuff because it's uh, disgusting Um, but I I think I did uh, I did close to close to 0.1 Um, that would be a hundred milligrams, a hundred milligrams. And then I took a little tiny bit more later on. So I probably had between, uh, 125 and 150. And I wish I would have just stuck with what I did. I started getting a little grindy and this is, uh, this is me, your hero, uh, your, your, your host and hero i I have a high tolerance for mind altered states and uh, i don't do mdma or mda that much so it's not that i have a tolerance for that but uh, i don't like getting grindy and Mm -hmm. and that was that was definitely happening and so i would have been fine with a hundred micrograms and i think i have a decent tolerance so i would say if i were giving advice i'd say start with like 60 like a point oh six. Just yeah. to start your first time just to see and if it doesn't if it doesn't do anything to right. you, then you know. Yeah, the
1: problem with underdosing on MDMA, however, know, is that it can actually produce anxiety. In the map studies when they gave fifty milligrams to veterans, yeah. it actually made their PTSD worse.
0: And that's when, that's yeah. important to point out, but I'm just saying just to know if you have some like bizarre like reaction to it no no you're absolutely ab- right and we
1: do believe that in the majority of adverse medical reactions and fatalities uh there is some kind of pre-existing condition that is involved that makes people more vulnerable to uh, hyperthermia um that was going to be the next thing i said in this yeah. this list is that if you if you're heat sensitive if you have any condition that predisposes you to uh heat you should be very careful if not just don't do it and that Includes uh, anhydronia, the inability to sweat, which people with spinal cord injuries often have. They don't sweat. Um, then other, it could be genetic conditions too. Um, survivors of meningitis uh, are particularly heat sensitive. That might correspond. Uh, there's a genetic condition, unfortunately, you might not know if you have it, called malignant hyperthermia. Uh, if you have had any direct family member have a reaction to anesthesia where they became hyperthermic, um, that's also extremely dangerous. Than for you to take to take MDMA. Uh, so, and then there's probably unknown sort of secondary tertiary liver uh, enzyme issues genetic liver profiles that just sort of predispose some people to having adverse reactions. And I've seen it because I've been around a lot of people in the work that I do who've taken MDMA. And um, I've actually personally seen it twice, two people that I know or was with who took a normal dose. One was only 90 milligrams of MDMA uh, and the other was 125. And um, two separate occasions, both these people in a cool environment had a hyperthermic reaction where they were sweating and were, we were all worried about them, et cetera. And they they all, and we agreed, uh, both of these people and said, oh my God, I'm never doing that again. And so there, there's a, a small percentage of the population that we don't know why seems predisposed to having this kind of adverse hyperthermic reaction to MDMA. and you man and this is probably why most of the um fatalities uh, I've investigated a lot of them probably investigated personally more mdma related fatalities than anyone alive um because even toxicologists and coroners they don't they don't go and talk to friends and family and find out the environmental conditions and what was really you know gaining information right they just, they find mdma in the bloodstream and they say oh it was an mdma overdose but most of these deaths are not overdoses they're not occurring in people that have taken too much they were in hot environments and then what i've learned is this is pre people who have this predisposition because because what happens you got to understand if you take it, if you're like this these two friends of mine you take MDMA and you have this reaction you say I'm never doing that again and you remove yourself from the pool of fatalities right so people who have taken MDMA 20 30 times they're not dying right. all the cases that I've researched all of them the 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 decedent had Either it was their first time or less than a handful of times, mm-hmm. and so this uh, stereotype that that we have of someone that drives of a of a drug is that, oh they must have been an addict or a drug abuser. No, these are young people like Shelly, who's featured in my movie. She was the head of her sorority. You know, she had never even smoked pot, right? These are accidents, most likely in people that have some unknown preexisting condition. Mm. So yeah, so your That's your advice, first time, take fifty milligrams. You might you probably aren't going to feel it, most people, but be okay with that if you want, yeah. and wait, and you know, take your hundred milligrams this a uh, week later, the second time,
0: right? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. If you're cool. if you're uh, crossing your T's and dotting your eyes, I'd say that's a good way to go. Uh, water. Uh, this uh, this is something that I think I think everyone knows. Um, you have to make sure and stay hydrated, but people don't know that there's kind of like a Goldilocks amount of of water uh that that you want to have because you can actually drink too much water in some certain circumstances
1: The, the irony here is that while overheating is the number one risk MDMA also causes water retention, and uh, there have been a number of fatalities from people, especially in females, who drank too much water while on MDMA, because um, females are particularly vulnerable to hyponitremia, as it's called, because estrogen regulates how sodium crosses cell membranes, and uh, the, um, they're more at risk. And this is probably underestimated in uh, the public health community, because... Um, it seems like uh, the ratio of uh, fa- male to females in fa- MDMA fatality is two to one. For every male who dies, two females die. And so it could very well be that hyponitremia is a, a more a prominent cause of fatality than than we realize. If, if we document it carefully, the way the patient presents, it's it's easier to tell. Uh, because hyponatremia usually involves coma and seizure and not necessarily a high body temperature, whereas a typical hyperthermic reaction, you know, the body temperature is very high. But what what I think happens is people start getting overheated and then they panic and they, they, they think, I need to drink water, and then they just drink a gallon of water. And then they they were maybe at risk of a hyperthermic medical reaction, but now it turns into a... Um, Uh, hyponitremia reaction. So uh, one uh, pint an hour is all you need, right? One cup, one or two cups an hour. You don't need to drink any more, and it's dangerous to chug too much water
0: all at once. Let's see. I feel like we nailed it. Is that... Is that everything? In in and not absolutely not how to. Uh, well, well, no. There, the mo- there's, well, hold on. There's five HTP the next day. To, that's that's right. To replenish uh, there's, serotonin.
1: Yes, that's can that can be helpful. We like you know to tell people uh, even though five HTP you can get it at a health food store supplement will make you feel better uh, quicker uh, help you replenish your serotonin. That shouldn't be used as a substitute for moderation. You should still. Uh, Be moderate. Less is more with MDMA. So, um, exactly how often is safe, you know, nobody knows that, but uh, Anne Shulgin, Sasha Shulgin's wife, the chemist who rediscovered it, says four times a year is a good amount. Hmm. I like to repeat hers. I think that's very
0: moderate. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty safe amount, I would say. Um, And missing any well drug
1: combinations you know be really careful mixing drugs uh you know people like to candy flip and you know some cannabis isn't really it's contraindicated LSD or
0: mushrooms with some mdma
1: yeah yeah and uh, i don't think there isn't any real pharmacological uh, synergy that's more dangerous with that uh, uh but um uh, other stimulants cocaine meth any of the basalts, unknown research chemicals, and any kind of monoamine uh, amplifiers, right, the stimulants uh, should, should not be mixed together. They can have synergistic effects. And um, obviously, MAO inhibitors, everyone, they're second-generation antidepressants, very rarely prescribed anymore. And if you were prescribed, you would know because you would have be required to, or, you know, read this pamphlet on all the things that can kill you, including blueberries, so... Um, I think uh the only people who have died mixing MDMA and MAO inhibitors are silly psychonauts who are trying to experiment with their own brains and mm. you
0: you shouldn't do that. Don't be a silly psychonaut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um well, yeah. Uh, if you're going to be a psychonaut, don't be silly about it. Um all right, well that's uh, see this is a lot I'm sure a lot of people uh would be like, why would you tell people how to do drugs? on a on a podcast this is meant to be a science podcast about learning and you're going out and telling people how to do drugs and that's because these are growing up substances and we have adult growing up conversations if you want to be reckless uh, you can you can go and get some apple pucker and Light your farts on fire and do whatever dumb thing that dumb teenager. How do you light your do? farts on fire safely? <laughs>
1: Let's tell people well, how do you do that.
0: I'm glad that you have. You need a
1: metal say, screen. Yeah. You hold it one inch away.
0: <laughs> but if you want to do adult drugs and sit at the adult drug table. The this is how you do things uh the right way and and if you and especially if if you are sitting there with the intention of bettering yourself um then you're already one step ahead of of most people and you already have uh those good intentions so you might as well follow through on the rest and and do these very minimal really of of steps just to make sure that that you're doing it in a safe way because once you feel safe and secure, not only uh, not only are you going to have a, a physiologically better time and healthier time, but you will just be more comfortable and then you will be able to go deeper into the experience once you aren't worried about overheating or not having enough water or what you took and the purity of it and blah, blah, blah. Once you have all of that stuff off of your mind for no other reason, um, it it will allow you if for no other reason, uh, you, you should do that stuff just to open up your mind to allow for deeper exploration. Well said. So, with that, reminder one more time, if people want to contribute to this, this isn't just a fun, um, cool, well-shot, well-edited documentary. This is also, uh, as, as documentaries often are, this is also uh, very important. This is an important topic, and I know a lot of you uh, listeners uh, have been uh, drawn to this show um, As much for your interest in science as your interest in psychedelics, hearing me talk about them on other podcasts, and that's how you discovered Here We Are. So, I know there's tons of you out there that are psychedelic advocates. Um, If you want to support this project, here's what you do. You can go to
1: MDMathemovie.com and click the Donate button, where you get to see our opening credit sequence, a highly polished, fun 2 minute uh, it is it video. is
0: real badass. I was that was my documentary is pretty good, but we <laughs> uh, it, we are uh, we were exceptionally low budget. We wanted to okay. make something simple and and quick and and capture a little moment in time mm-hmm. in my life and in drug culture and it, super thrilled with how it came out. But I will say, saw your razzle dazzle, flashy uh, opening titles, <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, that dude had a budget." <laughs> that was that not.
1: cost about seventeen thousand dollars total for between the filming and the editor. So and that two minutes, cost <laughs> about what my yeah,
0: documentary right. cost. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. Well, you know, I'm I'm trying to make the definitive documentary against the drug war and for uh, uh, harm reduction and 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 on MDMA for um, the next. 30 years so and uh, i think that you know. it will
0: be mm-hmm. i think it's a fantastic project yeah
1: please contribute anything you can and we have some some perks uh, uh and uh more importantly if you know anyone with deep pockets uh, uh please tell them about the film because we are we are looking for um uh at least three hundred thousand dollars more, right now.
0: or deep purses. Let's mm-hmm. let's make sure that we're yes, we're always gender gender neutral. On that's great right. Our podcast. Uh, that was just me being super cool. Uh, and uh, reminder: I'm on the spectrum, so that's my <laughs> attention to detail. Um, so uh, with that, thank you, Emmanuel, for coming on the show. You're welcome. And thank you, listeners, for being super awesome and curious and cool and smart in all the things that I like to imagine that you are and yeah I'm just going to go ahead and assume that about you even if you aren't so um so yeah it's true all of them it's true every, yes. every single one of you wonderful special smart people we'll talk with you next week So if that got your attention and you want to learn more about psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and uh, and the, the different potential ways of doing um, psilocybin mushrooms in particular, you might want to check out the Jamaica Retreat. I think that will be an amazing time. And uh, it'll be me and 18 listeners all getting to know one another a little bit better and having some uh, amazing experiences and also... I uh, want to give a shout out, this outro music is by Sam Goodwill, and the wonderful audio quality is edited and delivered to you by Jimmy Fro's Indie Music Show, so you can check that out on iTunes, thank you Jimmy, and I will talk to you next week where we will be talking with Michael Garfield, uh, who is the The first person to have a third appearance he had two appearances in a row in the first uh season of the show. If you haven't heard those, that would be a good time to go back and listen or maybe you want to revisit them and just a genius uh artist philosopher uh great guy uh, one of my one of my favorites those of you that listen to the end, you're of course my favorites uh, but michael garfield favorite guest of mine making his third appearance, the first one to break three. So, very special title there. So, yeah, you guys are awesome, and I will talk with you next week. Thanks.